this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to Safety Wars from the border of liberty and prosperity and the highway to the north. We're coming to you. We have some respiratory issues here. So I don't know how long my voice is going to hold out, but I do have some pre-recorded stuff I was going to put on. Anyway, what do we do here? Well, we talk about news. We talk about comment, commenting on the news. And we usually have one uh, topic that we uh, include. And all of our stories are related to safety in some way, somehow. Whether it's community safety, uh, worldwide safety, global safety, uh, well, safety in the workplace, safety in the home, crime, you name it, we talk about it here. So I'm going to remind everybody to go out and vote tomorrow. If you haven't already, I voted yesterday. My, my uh, question is always this. You have early voting. All right, and I'm not against early voting. I usually make uh, myself available of it. I avail myself of early voting. And what happens is I always have to ask, what if somebody votes and then they're not eligible to vote on election day? What happens then? Let's consider it. This is an issue for us. Somebody could die, unfortunately. I don't want anybody to die, but people could die. People could be convicted of a crime. That makes them ineligible. People can move and thus negate their residency requirements. And a whole bunch of other stuff could happen, I'm sure. I'm just mentioning three top ones. So I don't know. That's something for the politicians to... and the swamp to figure out there. So hopefully, you know, I've been hearing this uh, around the clock practically. I, I mean, you know, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm getting a text message. And my wife is like, who's texting you at 1 o'clock in the morning? And it's no, it's amazing. You put your name on a mailing list in, two th- in the 2000s. They ask you for a phone number. And sure enough, they're constantly texting you on that. Very frustrating. So we're going to start out with some OSHA news and EPA-related news, and then we're going to uh, talk about some other stuff here. This is from last week. We're catching up from last week uh, because some of this stuff was issued, but it was not released on the OSHA website. U.S. Department of Labor recognizes Chatham Village Foods for workplace safety health excellence with star designation. The Massachusetts crouton manufacturer, I I thought you cooked, croutons, not manufacture them, that's kind of disturbing, earns distinction for employee involvement and training. This is from Wareham, Massachusetts. So it's a division, the description, a division of T. Marcetti Company, Chatham Village Foods, has about 200 workers in Wareham who produce croutons for the bread and bakery product manufacturing industry. The production process includes ingredient mixing, proofing, baking, slicing, seasoning, and packaging and distribution. OSHA's star designation follows an April 2022 on-site evaluation by a team of the agency's safety and health experts. Star designation is the highest level of recognition. So congratulations, guys. I really appreciate it. And ladies, I really appreciate it. Uh, Nice to see people succeeding in safety out there. That's really a good thing. Profit over people. An alarming trend continues at a certain retailer where seven Southeast inspections again find willful violations. Less than one month after the U.S., and again, let's remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty, and usually this stuff is all negotiated downward or settled outside of court. Less than one month after the U.S. Department of Labor cited a certain company with more than 1.6 mil in penalties for putting its workers' safety at risk, federal inspectors have issued citations for similar violations at stores across the South. Now, I, we have a couple of these stores up here. And I actually went into the store to see if we can find some of these safety things, right? So what, what were they cited for? 
Failing to label, mount, or make fire extinguishers accessible. Storing boxes in front of electrical panels, increasing the risk of fire and electrical hazards, meaning you can't get the electric panel if you need to. Failing to use exit signs to facilitate safe egress in the event of an emergency. Exposing workers to electrocution by not keeping unused openings and electrical cabinets closed. And not providing handrails on stairs where required. So what does this come down to? It's communicating with your employees. Uh, no, this is an oldie but a goodie. Let's see if it... Uh, if it... Uh, if it's still on the internet here. Now, you can consider this. I, My uh, brother and I laughed over this. This is all the way back from April 10, 2016. It's a whopper of a prank that could lead to felony charges. Calls have been coming into fast food restaurants in several states, leading employees to break out the windows. The prankster frames it as a gas emergency, and the only way to vent the sort is to smash all the gas, glass. At least three Burger Kings, one Winnie's, and one Jack in the Box have fallen for the prank, or two copycats. So they, you know, basically, uh, again, lack of training, emergency uh, action plans. What's the proper way of doing this? How do we verify workers are uh, trained? How do we verify Emergency managers are in there uh, who are able to know uh, how do you verify the identity of emergency uh, managers, things of that nature. All goes back to training. And with this one retailer, I mean, I don't know what's going on in t uh, um, internally, but apparently uh, the, the message is not getting out or they're just saying, look, we're just going to pay the fines. But eventually there's going to be a problem. So here we have a top 10 list from OSHA, right? Fall protection, right? So these are, uh, these are uncovered on September 3rd during the National Safety Council's 2022 Safety Congress and Expo. So the reason why I'm mentioning this is that this, uh, people are now updating their 2023 uh, intro to OSHA outreach training materials, right? That one hour that you're required for OSHA outreach training, and you have to include information like this. You have to include statistics. So it's worth it to go and mention this again since people like me are updating things right now for 2023. And you can call us at 845-269-5772 to actually uh, schedule your OSHA outreach training, whether it's construction, general industry, maritime, or disaster a response worker. I do it all. So fall protection is number one. All right. Hazard communication, HAZCOM, which we had just mentioned 1910-1200 on managing uh, workplace chemical hazards. Right. Respiratory protection, ladders. Ladder uh, standard, here you go, was violated 2143 times in 2022. But here's something that you want to figure out. This is only what's been documented, not what it actually is. OSHA scaffolding standard has a total, and the number five, scaffolding. Again, uh, this is all construction here uh, for this one. Lockout, tagout. And right now we have more telemarketers going, trying to get you to vote for whoever. I can't wait till this is over at this point. Powered industrial trucks, pit. That means forklift. That's a fancy way of saying forklift. So this is where a lot of people uh, fail. A lot of companies fail. Their people have to be trained in how to use a forklift. Fall protection training requirements. The training requirements for fall protection. All right. So the number one is failure to give uh, fall protection. Number eight is training requirements. All right. And we all have right here uh, personal protective and life-saving equipment, eye and face protection. This is along the lines of safety glasses and machine guarding. Uh, no, safety glasses and uh, face shields. Machine guarding, 10th most violated standard was OSHA's machine guarding standard. And that was 1910-212. And uh, that's basically companies either removing the uh, guards 
not installing guards or anything else with that. And again, unfortunately, my experience is that this stuff usually hits when somebody gets into an accident of some sort. And we're going to take a break right now. I'll see you on the other side of the break. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA recordables, first aid cases, catastrophic losses. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. Okay, we're back. Forgot to turn the microphone up. Ha, ha, ha. All right. We're going to go into some of the US EPA uh, press releases here. And this one is from, this is all from uh, the EPA. EPA.gov, pardon me. The U.S. Uh, Environmental Protection Agency has ordered two individuals in Missouri and Nebraska to take immediate steps to comply with the Federal Clean Water Act. If we recall, Federal Clean Water Act is one of the first uh, clean uh, acts passed in the modern uh, era, I would say, after 1970. And it basically the idea is that you're going to make all uh, waters fishable and swimmable, number one. Number two is that you're, it's going to regulate discharges, and those discharges can either be from point, surf, point sources or non-point surf, uh, sources. Point source would be like you have a uh, pipe coming out of a plant of some sort, or a non-point would be like a sewer or regular runoff. The agency is also seeking civil penalties for alleged violations of the act. According to EPA, both individuals and their respective companies fill, filled in uh, federally protective streams without obtaining Clean Water Act permits. The compliance order issued to the people on October 7th, EPA alleges that uh, both of the people basically uh, filled in, built two lakes on their property. One, approximately 13.5 acres, and one, 2.6 acres. And in addition to the orders issued to by the EPA, the agency also filed administrative complaints uh, pursuing penalties for the alleged Clean Water Act violations. And uh, they're basically for a total of $300,000 divided between both. My question is this. What relationship do both of these individuals have to each other? Are they on like the border of Nebraska and uh, what's the other state? Nebraska and Missouri, are they on like border properties? I don't know. I just find it very interesting here. And let's remember with all these reports, everyone's innocent until proven guilty. And these things are usually litigated or uh, negotiated downward. Here's another one from OSHA. U.S. Department of Labor Swank Enterprises aligned to promote workplace safety and health at the University of Montana Construction Project. So this is from last week. We didn't get a chance to do it, but, uh, to cover this, but OSHA's million area office and Swank Enterprises signed a two-year alliance to proactively enhance a safety and health 
work environment for employees involved in the construction of a dining facility at the University of Montana in Missoula. The two organizations will collaborate to prevent workplace incidents and fatalities by providing training, following best practices, improving safety and health programs, and ensuring compliance with OSHA standards and regulations. Well, I'm here to tell you this. You do not need some type of a partnership with OSHA to do this. Yeah, it looks good on the website. It looks good for PR. And if you're involved in any litigation, look look at us. We're trying our best, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's great, and that's good. But this is what all workplaces are supposed to be doing. And if you need a hand, give us a call at 845-269-5772 or at jim at safetywars.com. This is from, pardon me, uh, this is from a uh, legal case, right? So OSHA trenching the citation defeated based on mere inches of me- mere inches measurement. A federal judge vacated an OSHA citation against an Illinois sewer system contractor, right? There was a final order released on money that said the OSHA failed to provi- prove a section of a trench where an employee was working deeper than five feet to trigger death for retaining walls, right? They shouldn't say, like, shoring, benching, something required by the agency. No one was injured, and trench walls stayed intact during the inspection. But here you go. Nobody's hurt. I suspect that somebody was either doing a drive-by or they were dealing with a referral. And guess what? This eats into your profits. I mean... If you went to court, you know you're going... If you went to federal court, you know this is not like Jimmy Polzel, safety guy, out there managing this. This is going to be a attorney of some sort. They're probably going to charge five to 600 bucks per uh, hour, and that's just to, you know, just the beginning of it. Railroad, railroad worker dies after explosion on tracks caused by fuel near Old Town Spring, officials say. This is in Spring, Texas. A man was killed while working on a railroad track that exploded near Old Town Road, according to the Harris County Fire Marshal's office. Crews responded to a fire at 26510 East Hardy Road after a fuel gas was ignited, causing an explosion early Saturday. Upon arrival, one man was transported to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. So... Here we have an issue of trailing vapors. That's what it sounds like. Fuel gas, right? I don't know what this is or what the details are. And everybody, no, it's still under investigation. So I don't know what's uh, been updated here. But essentially, uh, when you're doing hot work, right? And it depends on what standard you're working in when you're dealing with hot work, a certain... uh, Right, most companies don't go by OSHA requirements. They go by NFPA requirements, which are more stringent than OSHA. And also, uh, depending on the insurance policy you have, you're required under hot uh, to follow the hot work po- uh, uh, policy of uh, NFPA, National Right National Fire Protection Association. Uh, so, what are some of the things right that are required? So let's go here. Hot work permit. All right. So what I always recommend is that if you are going to be doing hot work, you get somebody designated as a hot work person, as a fire watch, something like that, and get them trained on how to be a fire watch. Get them trained on how uh, on how to... Uh, Operate a fire extinguisher. Now, you're going to say, Jimmy, you really have to uh, train people on how to use a fire extinguisher? The answer is yes, because you it, it's am- amazing how many people do not know how to use a, uh, use a fire extinguisher. Uh, I came across this pro- problem a couple years ago. I was working for a with a uh, company that was doing work at a very large oil facility in New Jersey. And one of the comments was, no, they needed people with hot work. And I said, well, all of my people are trained. And we didn't send them out for the 
online training. We actually did real live fire exercises with them. And uh, the question came up, are our are our employees actually qualified? Do we trust them to operate a fire extinguisher? And I said to him, I just did in my, with my community emergency response team in Rockland County, New York. I'm a member of the community emergency response team. We just did fire extinguisher training with 10, 11, and 12-year-old Girl Scouts. And they did pretty darn good. I think your workers, and God bless the Girl Scouts for doing this, I think your workers could probably manage. Maybe that's why, what, what, you know, maybe that's what, why they were all pissed off at me when I said that. I don't know. They looked at each other. I said, is your, uh, uh, are your big construction workers, are you saying that they cannot operate a fire extinguisher? Because they were accusing me, oh, your guys can't operate a fire. I said, oh, I just did it with 12-year-olds. Are you saying that my people are not uh, are not qualified and 12-year-old Girl Scouts are? What's that saying about your people, what you think about them? Uh, needless to say, that was probably the wrong thing to say. Oh, well, you live and you learn. I probably would have handled it a little bit differently today uh, doing that. So what's a hot work permit? So most companies, you can get it from uh, sources like an FPA, Fire Mutual FM, things of that nature. But it's usually a yellow uh, form that says hot work permit on it. And it is usually carbon copy. If you don't have a carbon copy, you have a thing called a smartphone. You might have heard of it. You fill out the permit, take a picture of it. And you have to designate who the confident person is or who the permit issuer is on this hot work permit because there are things on here that you have to sign off on. So it's real simple. Name of the company, the date, the time issued, when does the permit expire, what's the location, what's the name of person authorizing the permit, what person is performing the hot work or persons, what's the description of the hot work being performed, and person performing the fire watch. So uh, they recently, like five years ago, updated the standard for this, NFPA. So uh, what I would do is uh, check with the latest standard, whatever it is, and how it applies to you, right? So what are some of the checklist items? Meaning, one, security has been contacted to ensure that sprinkler systems are not impaired. Uh, Within 35 feet of work, Flammable liquids, combustible dust, gas, dust, and oily deposits are removed. Explosive atmospheres in the area are eliminated. Floors are swept clean. Combustible building construction covered with a fire-resisting covering. Remove other combustible materials where possible. All wall, floor, and machinery openings need to be uh, uh, covered, going on and on and on. And this is the other thing. This is controversial here. For years, NFPA's standard was that you need to stay after work and stuff for 30 minutes. When they updated the standard, they made it 60 minutes. A lot of, most employers are still on the 30-minute standard. And if you're a responsible person, meaning you're a competent person or whoever permitted sure, prob or some person in charge, you probably want to point that out to your manager with that. Because if you are not, keeping up to date with the latest things, that could cause a problem for you. Right? And always retain these. So what, what are we dealing here with going back to the accident? Often what happens, I, I have no, no knowledge, I'm just reading news reports, several of them with this, but uh, a crew was doing hot work on the rail line when a fuel gas ignited, causing an explosion. So this sounds like a trailing gas of some sort. Something was leaking maybe something adjacent to the railroad tracks, uh, hopefully not a tanker explosion. That would, that would suck, but on the other hand, you probably wouldn't know what hit you uh, with that. And I can almost guarantee you, what's the first thing they're going to ask for, do you think? Any guess what the first thing they're going to ask for? They're going to ask for that damn hot work permit. Way it is, guys. Make sure you have your paperwork together. 
Well, Jim, that's not very nice. Well, I don't care if it's very nice or not nice. It's the way it is. They're going to look for the paperwork first. We had an incident recently on a job, and they're asking for safety-related paperwork that had nothing to do with the accident. Why? Just so they could say, hey, uh, you weren't responsible. This is a leading indicator. Thank God we had everything. But this is one of those things. All right, you're being paid often, especially if you're a third-party consultant like we are usually. You're getting paid for paperwork. That's something that you really need to go and keep track of. All right? All right. Uh, This is from a scaffold construction plunge to the death. Spurs demands for stepped-up site safety. This is in New York. So, so a construction worker building a protective sidewalk shed fell. So this is also known as a teepee in New York City, where you're going to have a walkway underneath some construction up on a roof. So uh, basically a worker was building a uh, protective sidewalk shed and fell to his death on Wednesday. Usually these things are not very high, so I'm kind of interested and now they said that he fell 20 feet. That's awfully high here for a TV here. But I'll take the, uh, the uh, news report's word for it. So uh, iron worker, right? Uh, again, I'm trying to think whether they were uh, complying with the subpart R, as we discussed last week, last Friday, with the 15 and 30-foot requirement. But it's like this. If... Uh, if your employee dies or gets injured from a same level fall, you're liable. Let alone a 20 foot high, you know, you're not going to say to Osho or the lawyers or the man's family, oh, he didn't have to wear fall protection, blah, 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 subpart R, blah, 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 and blame the employee against, again, blame the, you know, shame, blame, retrain. It sucks out there. It absolutely sucks. So, We're going to take a brief break here. I'm going to clear my throat, get something to drink, and I'll see you at the end of the break. Safety Wars is streaming now. SafetyFM.com Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. Okay, here we are back, and we're sounding pretty good, I guess. And we have a... Oops, wrong one. That is the wrong button I hit. I can't find the button. Hold on. All right. This is a Safety Wars exclusive here on Safety FM. So uh, I, uh, my family owns a house up in northern New Jersey, and there it is. My family owns a house in northern New Jersey, and lo and behold, I'm on their social media page. It's the unofficial social media page. And there was a uh, post, you know, energy prices, we're going to talk about them in a minute are going higher and higher and higher. I mean, there were some reports of gas stations and fuel depots being out of fuel oil and diesel fuel today, right, in the Northeast. So people are going back to firewood. This is really an issue in uh, Europe uh, where I've read a whole bunch of stories on firewood. And here, here's the whole thing, right? When you're doing your homeowner's insurance here, and again, I'm not an insurance agent. I just went through this stuff, getting homeowner's insurance. If you have a fireplace or wood-burning stove, that all has to be UL listed. Why? So, no, these old houses, right? I'm going to go back in the Wayback Machine, back 45 years ago, roughly, 46 years, 1978, 
where we had the uh, oil embargo. And uh, a lot of companies, a lot of fa- uh, families got onto the wood-burning stove kick. So they installed wood-burning stoves into all of the, uh, their ho- homes. And eventually, the, because of government policies, supply and demand, and everything else, people got old. Now, my father had four boys to cut wood. So uh, going back was, no, people got older. They stopped cutting wood, and these wood-burning stoves often... Uh, laid dormant. So now when the new owner comes into the house or you're looking to re-up your insurance policy, now one of the questions, is it UL listed? And the answer had better be yes, and it had better be UL listed because uh, the insurance company is less likely to cover your damages in the event of a chimney fire or other fire. So what, what are people having to do? They're going to have to go and get new fireplaces, get them relined, installed, new modern wood-burning stoves, things of that nature uh, in there. Now, this is what's going on. Uh, one, of my, uh, one of our neighbors uh, had cut down a whole series of trees, and they told their, they were already dried out and seasoned in place. So they cut all the trees, and they went over to uh, gather the wood. This happened during the day with the contractor. And they went over there at night or when they got home from work and they were planning on splitting wood all weekend so they have enough wood for the uh, a whole weekend. They have a whole big uh, production thing. What do you think happened? Someone stole all their wood. Because right now, cords of wood, and what's a cord of wood? Four, four, four foot by four foot by eight foot block of wood. Uh, that's going from anywhere from 400 to $800 a cord. It's a lot of money. People are stealing the wood and selling it or stealing the wood and using it for themselves. So lo and behold, this is one of the things you have to have uh, secure, uh, security along with this. So that's something you need to think of. Uh, Let's go into the markets uh, today. Okay, uh, the markets were up today. Dow Jones Industrial, 32,827, closing at S&P 500 at 3,806. NASDAQ at 105,64. Russell, 2,000 at 1,809,81. U.S. Treasury note is down to 4.2. Bitcoin is holding at 20,606. It's pretty much in that area there. And crude oil has broken the $90 uh uh, uh, mark and it's at 9207. Wow. Precious metals. They're all pretty much holding the same here. Uh, platinum is up to 1370. Palladium is up to 1939. Uh, silver is holding at 2107, a slight decline, and gold is at 1684.80. So uh, that's what we got for. That now, we normally do not get into politics here. That's pretty much not the deal here because that's a pit that we never, the swamp, that's a pit that we never like to get involved with. But this one I want you to do if you're a listener vote, right? Vote for whoever you want to vote for here in the United States. We're still going to be friends on Wednesday morning. All right? I care about you, listener. I care about my family, my friends. We're not going to let the people in Washington dictate what our relationship is. We're going to go out there and be friends. We're going to deal with things from that stone-cold logic of Mr. Spock, one of my idols, one of my favorite TV characters. Not Dr. Spock, Mr. Spock from Star Trek. Played by Leonard Nimoy and a couple of other folks. Now, Ethan Peck is Gregory Peck's grandson and uh, Zach Quinto. But anyway, it's... No, you have to go out there and we have to get along. I'm going to be calling for calm and peace 
and everything else along with this. And we'll be back here tomorrow. And uh, I was uh, debating whether or not to do an election night program. You never know. I might be doing that on Facebook Live or something like that. Uh, And we'll go from there. Uh, I want everybody to take a chill pill and realize that one of the problems that we do have in this country is worrying about what the... uh, what the politicians are telling us what to think and do. We're Americans. We could get along. We've gotten along for a long time. This vitriol, this hatred, and everything else going on, it's not a good path to be on. And uh, unfortunately, I think that we're going to have uh, some kind of uh, violence uh, here uh, in relation to this uh, election. And I hope not. I'm not advocating violence. Uh, I'm advocating calm. And we'll, regardless of how this election uh, sorts its way out, we'll pick up the pieces on Wednesday. If you lose, well, then think about why you lost and prepare for your next election. If you won, figure out why you won and try to reproduce it or change it to make it more effective as is necessary. Uh, I've been going back and forth whether I should have political specials here because as everybody knows here I was involved in politics for many 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 years and uh, I don't know I keep going back and forth back and forth back and forth on here uh, you know I don't know we'll see uh, with it I'm having enough fun with safety wars uh, I don't think I need any more work so uh, so we'll see you tomorrow where we have a pre-recorded session here on Rules for Radicals. This is actually uh, one of my most requested uh, podcasts, one of my most requested uh, presentations to give organizations is on Rules for Radicals. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Pozel, and I'll see you tomorrow. Cultural pushback strategies faced by safety professionals. Today on Safety Wars. Ultimately, in any discussion with younger safety professionals and managers, the question comes up as to how do I manage a workforce that seems to be 100% against safety? How do I engage my workforce and try to change corporate culture often when I'm getting so much pushback by the corporate culture? The corporate culture refuses to change and we have a horrible one when it comes to safety. I always refer people back to Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky. It turns out that no one ever reads them or follows it up, so I tend to teach it myself. I offer no solutions, you gotta find out what those are for yourself, but I do identify some behaviors and some stories that I have on each one of these. Who was Saul Alinsky? He was a community organizer in Chicago that witnessed the violence of the late 1960s at the Democratic National Convention. He went out to the crowd and said, look, you're doing it all wrong, and to effect change, you don't do it by violence, but by organization, hard work, and struggle. When I began reading these rules, I noticed that these rules are some of what we have to deal with as safety professionals. We're trying to change corporate culture a lot of times. We're trying to change it to a safer one, more productive one, one where everybody works together, the best they can, of course. So I also realized that it was being used by us, not only against us, but by us against the workforce. This ends up in a situation where everybody hates each other. So I spent a couple of years thinking about this stuff and presented it as a one half hour filler to a Haswaffer refresher course for young managers over at New Jersey City University who asked about how to manage safety when you're dealing with a workforce that seems to be 100% against them. It was one of the few mic drop moments that I have had in my career. I've also presented this to several organizations. So if you're easily triggered, this might not be the discussion for you. By the way, we should not use the word enemy when dealing with our coworkers, but it's in with the original text and I want it to be true to the original text. Rule number one, power is not only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have. As a safety professional, you're hired to help a company with a problem or issue. You may be there for long term, short term, 
You may be coming in as a consultant, doesn't matter what it is. If you are lucky, the company has a well-established program and a fully self-actualized team. If you're not lucky, it seems like I was not very lucky, you are probably being brought in to manage a problem that is best handled by human resources. You realize that the company needs some type of cultural change. So how does this rule manifest itself? This could be as simple as, I have worked here for a very long time, Jim, and I am a, insert your favorite relationship or association. Could be brother, father, son, daughter, mother, doesn't matter. Then it's followed up with something along the lines of, leave me alone and don't rock the boat or I'll make trouble. This can be done overtly or it can be implied. Often this is the reason why a company hires you to manage their problems. The end result is that you cannot do your job effectively and you lose it. The problem's staff or team keeps theirs and what happens ultimately? People continue to get hurt or get injured or die at some places. You don't do your job, you get frustrated, you get angry, you get bitter and everything else. And you go on to your next assignment, repeating the same issues again and again and again. You find out that the folks who gave you this idea and made this threat to you, don't rock the boat, are not well respected in the organization to begin with, and they basically lied and intimidated you. So what do you do? You try to identify these situations early and handle them early before they get out of hand. Number two and number three go together. Number two is never go outside the expertise of your people or yourself for that matter. And number three, whenever possible, go outside of the expertise of the enemy. So you can see how these two go together. So never go outside the expertise of your people. Provide expertise and advice about what you know. Tread carefully into areas you have no expertise in. It's better off that you say, hey, look, I'm not sure on that. Let me double check. And always double check if you're not sure. Triple check. Get someone who does have the expertise. The worst thing that you could be in, among others, right? One of the worst is you might be told that you are wrong in the worst way and it destroys your credibility. They won't listen to you ever again. But that's what, what you got to do. Whenever possible, go outside the expertise of the enemy. One strategy that people try to undermine you with is to find out what your strengths and weaknesses are. They probe what those are. Then they concentrate on what you know. This often becomes an old-fashioned game of distraction. A good example of this is what I run into all the time. But I got a little bit wiser for it over the years. You're auditing one trade. You mention that there is a problem there, minor problem. Or it may be a major problem that they really don't want to address because it's going to take time to fix. And you're told, why are you worrying about this? You should be worrying about whatever's going on upstairs. They're doing some type of real activity. Maybe it's a forklift operation or another operation where someone's working very unsafely. So you go upstairs and you find out there is nobody up there. Now, this is not happening. And they just send you on a wild goose chase. For a good laugh, Google South Park, the Chewbacca defense, or South Park chef aid or Chewbacca defense. You'll find a huge number of articles on this strategy online, and it's made it into pop culture. What is the Chewbacca defense? It refers to making a legal argument, the aim of which is to deliberately distract and confuse the jury with the use of a red herring. Sometimes these traps are unavoidable, but you need to be aware of them. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, 
Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. I hope you enjoyed Rules Radical. So, like I said, you need to be aware of these strategies. Be very careful in using them. I don't recommend you use them at all, but you need to be aware of them. Rule number four, make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. Before enforcing a rule, make sure you're going to be the one obeying it also. Don't make a rule you don't intend to enforce. This is also a legal problem if you have a rule book that says you're going to do X, Y, and Z and you don't do it. You blow your credibility with everybody and it does not have a good outcome. So this could be as easy as telling someone to wear a hard hat than not wearing one. Today we're dealing with masks. How does this also manifest itself? Here's a classic one. If you need to do a gas test of a confined space continuously, and you decide not to do it because it's really not necessary. Management will always drag out that thing you didn't do in one of your annual reviews. Well, you were supposed to be enforcing X, Y, and Z rule, and you didn't do it, and you ruined the corporate culture. It doesn't matter that the management told them to disobey you, for example, or disobey a rule or not pay attention to safety. And it's just as important not to make a rule you cannot follow or enforce. I mention that again. So what are some rules that you cannot follow and cannot enforce? One of them is decontamination of individuals. I was actually asked to enforce a decontamination policy at a hazardous waste site. I said, well, we make sure that everybody goes through the glove wash and the glove rinse, but are they taking showers? Well, guess what? I'm not going into the shower, and I'm not going to watch them take a shower. That's what their intent was, was for me to go in and watch people take showers. Why? Because then we can be brought up on a sexual harassment type situation or something like that and make me be undermined make me look bad on site that now I'm watching people take showers. You really can't make this stuff up. Rule number five. Ridicule is man's most potent weapon. There really is no defense against it. When does this happen? It's when you have potential to achieve or when you have already gotten success. People who use ridicule often do it behind your back anonymously. It's also a leading indicator of jealousy, wanting to take someone down. It's often to get you to lose your temper. And if you lose your temper, that's what their end goal is, is to make you look foolish. What's the strategy for dealing with this? They are varied and many. What I try to do is not take myself too seriously and don't show that I get upset, even if I do get upset. Getting upset invites more ridicule. Try to get the leadership of the team on board with safety, and usually the group will follow the leadership, and that's a subject for another broadcast. Don't ever let them see you sweat. Rules 6 and 7. A good tactic is one your people enjoy, and number 7, a tactic that drags on too long becomes a drag. These rules... These rules work to our advantage and sometimes disadvantage. Learn an activity that the workforce enjoys. It's easy to do, hopefully is cheap, and gives effective results. When you use an old safety program that does not work anymore, or is stale, or the team can't relate to it, you will have failure every time. Rule number eight, keep the pressure on. Many rules can be used against you or by you. If something bad happens, or if someone finds a weak spot, they focus on it, repeating the attack or casually mentioning it, 
especially the at inopportune moments, like during your annual review. Once someone finds your weak spot, they will focus on it and try to undermine you. What do you do about this? Know your weak spots ahead of time and make sure they are fixed or at least you have a way to manage them. If the work is being deliberately undermined by your workforce, document it and then follow it up with human resources. These situations will often make it into your annual review, which I mentioned a couple of times. Manage correctly, you have a defense. Maybe you can manage it, maybe you could fix it. This is one reason why we track near misses, good catches, mishaps, and etc. So we can fix them, so we can prevent injuries in the workplace, so we can actually do our job. Number nine, the threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. This is a case of your imagination being your own worst enemy. People who have been at rock bottom and have worked their way out of it will tell you that rock bottom isn't so scary after all. Something not being scary can't be used as a threat. If you are not intimidated, you completely disarm the other party, the other person. Number 10. The major premise for tactics is the development of operations that will maintain a constant pressure upon the opposition. These tactics manifest themselves in many ways, including calling you on days off to ask questions that can be left until their return. On the same day, people coordinate and come to you with all their problems. Usually, this is not a coincidence. Changing paperwork, losing paperwork, and then blaming everybody else, especially you. Stealing resources. It could be something as simple as a dry erase marker for a presentation to taking critical equipment. General sabotage and favoritism. What do you do? Continue to do your job and be professional. One result of these tactics is to get a reaction out of you. Then the perpetrators play the victim card and report you as the problem. Document these situations, secure your own resources, documents, and equipment. Call people out professionally when they try these tactics. One time I had my desk repeatedly searched and things go missing. I noticed some of the items were on the vice president's desk. I reported to management that items from my desk were missing. This particular vice president gaslighted me. You can look at the previous episodes for this. And said, no one is going through your stuff. You are being ridiculous. The next week, I acquired a locking file cabinet to secure things. Two weeks later, the vice president said in front of several of my coworkers, I was looking for something in your desk, and I noticed your locked file cabinet. She was exposed for what she did and what she denied doing, and everyone got a good laugh. If you push a negative, this is rule number 11, if you push a negative hard and deep enough, it will break through to its countersign. Make a negative into a positive. I had a shop steward complain to me that one of the other contractors on a project was allowed to break site rules without any type of repercussion. He told me that I should be arguing on his team's behalf in front of the people paying me, the general contractor. I knew that if I did as he asked on this issue, I would likely be thrown off the project. This was his main goal. I told him that his ideas had merit. And remember, we were in front of the entire workforce. We'll call him Charlie. I said, Charlie, you know, you're very good at arguing. Your points have a lot of validity. So why don't we go up in front of site management and I'll be right behind you, buddy. And you can argue these points and make these demands and everything for them, for your workforce, right? better than I can. He knew that if he did that, he would be thrown off the project and that the union, which he was an officer in, would be in a very precarious situation. The union workforce seemed satisfied with this whole thing. When he did not follow through, it made him look bad. What was the end result? He never confronted me in front of so many people again. I kept a cool head and it turned out in my favor. People will often make themselves into the victim and this is what this guy was trying to do. Make himself into the victim and be the oppressor. You need to really watch out for this trap. Rule number 12. 
The price of a successful attack is a constructive alternative. What does this mean? Offer a solution. Just don't say something is wrong. Turn it into a positive. Offer a yes if situation rather than a no because. If you have no alternative plan, you look like your proverbial blowhard or malcontent. Rule number 13, pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, and polarize it. This is basically a team member dividing and conquering. There are several different ways of doing this, but it's essentially old-fashioned bullying. Some of the more obvious ways. Being excluded from meetings or not being invited to meetings, you probably should attend. Not having the correct equipment. Breaking equipment. Unreasonable time frames. Rushing an accident investigation. That's one of the uh, classic ones. Not having resources, time, or personnel to do the job. Not budgeting professional training or development. Not having a scope of work for a contract. Colluding with others or simply bullying you. Overloading you with work. Distracting you from duties. Team members doing work on projects you know nothing about then making you responsible for them. Blindsiding you. Surprising you with information or situations that need your attention immediately, at least in their mind, or put you in a bad situation. There's not much you can do to counteract this except document it, report it to human resources, and considering moving on. Don't let these tactics get the best of you. Try to rise above it. Revenge or vindication are always fleeting, and these people are usually not worth your time, your effort, or your soul. What's my point? You need to get away from toxic work environments. A positive safety culture is very difficult to achieve as it is. Having a culture working against you makes it even more difficult. Hopefully these rules will give you information on what to expect in your role as a safety manager. When you are a manager, recognize these behaviors at your company and work towards cultivating people and managing them in a positive way. Changing safety culture does not happen overnight. It takes years in the absence of a catastrophic event. Managing people in situations effectively will ultimately save lives and prevent injuries. Isn't that why we are all safety people in the end? For Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces.